hear unscripted faith stories that will make you think. Unbound life lessons that will crack you up. I'm talking adjust your waistband laughter. But most of all, unconditional grace and love that will help you connect to God and to other women. Welcome to The Well, Unfiltered. Well, hey everyone, welcome back to The Well as we are continuing our series on relationships, all kinds of relationships with all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. I am Mindy. And I'm Nicole. And today we are really excited to be in relationship with you. That's right. Through, that, did you like that? Segment? I did. Was I that did. great? That was great. Through all of our social media channels. So we want to remind you as you're listening, as you are thinking deep thoughts from our conversations, we want to interact with you. So we want to invite you to find us on all the social media channels like Instagram and Facebook. Are we on TikTok? Um, I think technically, but this shows that you probably should wait on that one. <laughs> you probably should definitely wait on that one. <laughs> but Facebook and Instagram, for sure, yes, we will respond. Find us there. Find yes. us there. Because we want to stay connected to you, not just on this podcast, but throughout the week between episodes. So, yeah, find us on social media. And today we're excited because we have a special guest with us. We have Jennifer Thompson. Because today ooh. we are talking, yeah, ooh. <laughs> we're talking about, I would say, one of the harder kinds of relationships that we deal with, which is relationships where we disagree or have profound differences from each other. Mm -hmm. So let's take a collective deep breath. Absolutely. Before we get into it. Uh, it's hard. It's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into our conversation, I want to tell you just a little bit about Jennifer. Um, Jennifer Thompson is the program director of Launchpad, State Policy Network's Incubation and Acceleration Lab. So what she does is she works to support social and business entrepreneurs who are creating innovative solutions to challenges that our communities face. And for more than 20 years, she's had the good fortune to hold jobs that help expand individual freedom and strengthen civil society. She is familiar with the podcast game because she is also the host of the Civil Squared podcast, which is a project dedicated to reducing political polarization and improving civil discourse, aka we need this podcast right now yes, very we do. much in and our Jennifer. world. <laughs> yes. Um, she holds a PhD and an MA in philosophy from Vanderbilt University, and the most important thing that her education has taught her is how much she has left to learn. Mm. In her free time, she and her family visit museums and historical sites, hike, and take advantage of every opportunity they can to hear live music. So Jennifer, we're glad to have you on the wall. Thank you very Welcome. much. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, Jennifer, we, you know, we just heard your bio, but we'd love to know maybe a little bit more about you so our friends here on the well can get to know you too. So can you just start by telling us a little bit about your faith journey and what got you into this line of work that you do? <laughs> sure. So I was, I grew up in Chicago and I was raised by parents who, this is, this is actually related to how I got into this line of work at some level, I think. Um, my parents came from two different faith backgrounds, both Protestant, but where I grew up in Chicago, most of the people I lived around were Jewish or Catholic. So until I was about 12 years old, I actually thought that because I was a Protestant and not, I was raised in the Disciples of Christ Church not like a mainline kind of Protestant that I was some kind of freak. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the table. I know. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy, but it was like, I really did think I was, all my friends went to Hebrew school after school and I was jealous because I didn't get to go and my friends who were Catholic had all these things going on. 
We had nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Like we had, you know, even fifth grade baptism and all these things. It just seemed so boring compared to what everybody else was <laughs> doing. But the other thing that was really important about that is that it forced me, and I can think about other places in my life where this is true, where you feel like you're the odd person out or you're the odd one out or you're one of a small group of people, right? And I think as women, we probably experience that. You know, that's true in terms of race and all kinds of other things where we feel like we can't talk because we're afraid we're gonna look really weird, right? Or we're gonna stand out. And especially when I was a kid, I didn't wanna stand out. And I was, I was pretty close to six feet tall when I was in fifth grade, so I stood out, like literally, literally stood out. <laughs> <laughs> and all of those things taught me, and whether this is a good thing or not, what it taught me was to be quiet and to listen and to wait to sort of look for cues to how to behave and all these other things. And again, I think that's probably not great. Um, and when I think about my kids, I probably would want to encourage them to have confidence not to sit back. But listening teaches you so much. Mm -hmm. um, and it teaches you, I think, humility at some level, too. You know, later on, professionally, I got into work that dealt with conversation. And one of the things we remind people about conversation all the time is it involves, like, talking and listening. Mm -hmm. And it teaches you intellectual humility. You're so ready to talk about something, and then somebody says something way better than you would have said it. So I think all those experiences, um, and my faith experience taught me that too. But then as I got older, I went, to, I went to church all the way through high school, through college. Then I went to grad school in philosophy, where I'm just going to put this out there and people can disagree with this. Like being a Christian was not something that was really strongly encouraged. It was like you're you're a religious freak because you believe in God, right? Like, that's not cool and rational and all that. And so I had a period of time where I sort of fell away. Like, I wasn't regularly attending church. I started working as a volunteer in a crisis center, and I was, for four or five hours a week over seven years, listening to people who are in crisis, whether that was suicide mm -hmm. or mental health crisis. And the thing that got to me over and over in this work was listening to people tell you about these horrible things that are going on in their life. And so often saying, but at least God is with me. And at mm -hmm. first I was like, what is wrong with these people? Like, do they not understand, you know, that they're in the worst situation possible? God's not with them, right? But I did that for seven years and then I heard that over and over. I started thinking to myself, hey, maybe I'm the one who's wrong. Like maybe I'm thinking I'm too smart, you know, maybe I really need to listen carefully. And that kind of brought me back to the church. Mm. Um, and as a result, um, you know, I continued to work in areas that involved conversation at some level and listening to people and, and understanding that conversation is an important part of education, right? We learn through conversation. We learn through experimenting with ideas, talking to people, if we don't have anything to learn, we don't have to talk to people, right? We can just hang out like, and be hermits and you know, <laughs> be smart or whatever, I guess. But if you still believe there are things you can learn, talking to other people and actually talking to people who disagree with you is a really important thing to do. Mm -hmm. So that kind of all connects up. And I, I do think as Christians, we are called to not just evangelize by talking to, and especially not at people, but by hearing about their experience, listening, mm. um, and, and listening to people who disagree with us, especially people who say, 
like, what if I don't believe what you believe, you know? Yeah. You can't be an evangelist and only talk to people you agree with, right? Mm-hmm. And I say evangelist in the best possible sense, not in, like, yelling at people and making them feel, you know, bad about themselves. They gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I qualify a lot. <laughs> well, I wonder if connected to that, you have been having these conversations, and some of it sounds like it's related to your own background of feeling different. And Mindy and I have been talking about how this moment feels different as well. And the way that people disagree seems qualitatively unique. Is that so as you have these conversations? Or maybe we need to listen to a different perspective. So I think there are things that are different. Um, and, And interestingly enough, when you were talking about people following on social media, right, like staying connected, it is a way to stay connected to people. But it is also a way... To, to be connected, but to be at a distance that enables people, I think, sometimes to feel a kind of uh, freedom in the way that they respond and disagree with one another mm-hmm. that you wouldn't feel if you were sitting next to a person, right? Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, I think there are things that are different about the way we interact today, um, in part because of technology. But I think it's also really important to consider that it's not different in other ways, right? Like human beings, like disagreement starts when you've got more than one human being, right? I'm, <laughs> it, it, we have been disagreeing. Um, we have been arguing. We've been having wars over disagreement for the whole of human history. And I think uh, Michael Ware, who uh, worked in the Obama administration and the faith initiatives, has a book, and I can't remember exactly the name of it. It's um, Reclaiming Hope, I think is the name. But I heard him speak a couple of years ago, and he was reading from uh, a presidential campaign, and he didn't tell us at the outset what he was reading from, and it was just horrible stuff. It was from, like, the mid-19th century, you know? And his point was that, particularly in terms of political disagreement, that has been going on, and we have been uncivil to each other for a long time. Mm. Maybe not everybody was getting the paper, right? Maybe mm-hmm. not everybody was engaged. There wasn't 24-hour news. There wasn't social media where everybody could get online and have an opinion about everything. And I say all of that not to say social media is bad or the internet is bad because mm-hmm. it's, it's good and it's bad, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there is a sense in which uh, we have the ability to be connected to one another and also uncivil to one another in a way, and, and thoughtless about the way we, we interact with one another uh, that we didn't have you know, 100 years ago. But the, the fact that we are uncivil to one another, that we, are, that we do disagree, that part I don't think is new. It's just mm-hmm. how it gets manifested, probably. Okay. And what I think is interesting is that on one hand, it feels like we can be constantly connected with each other in each other's opinions, mm-hmm. <laughs> going back and forth. But then on the other hand, it feels like what we do right now is a lot of us just disengage from people that we disagree with. And we create these lovely echo chambers where everyone says what we want to hear. And it feels good. And it takes away some of that maybe, I don't know, discomfort. But it doesn't seem like maybe that's the most helpful way to be in relationship with each other. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. And I think This is an important piece of our attentiveness to lack of civility and disagreeing with one another, is that we, we, for for a lot of reasons, I think, 
have the expectation that we should be comfortable. We should always be comfortable, right? I always think of Wally. You know that movie Wally, mm-hmm. where at the beginning, you know, the people are all like they don't move anymore. People bring them whatever they want, um, and you look at it and you think, oh, that would be a horrible way to live. But there is a sense in which, as we become generally more wealthy and able to take care of ourselves and to improve healthcare and all these other things, we are less and less in in circumstances where we feel discomfort and. and and it's human nature not to want to feel discomfort. But I think when you think about it from a faith perspective especially, I mean, there's two things here that I think really matter. One, when I first um, was in the Education for Ministry program, probably maybe everybody thinks this is obvious, but I remember, you know, I felt like I was a pretty knowledgeable Christian, and I remember there was this definition of sin as um, separation from God, and that was like an epiphany for me. I was like, wow, I never thought about sin that way. I think about it as doing something bad. But I do think about it now in terms of separation from God. Like, if I'm in separation from God, it's something I did. God is not putting the distance between us, right? Mm-hmm. We have to think about that as Christians, too. I think that we we separate ourselves from one another. There's a reason we come together to worship together. There's a reason we go out into the community. There's a reason that we are engaging with other people. And that involves discomfort. It has to involve discomfort at some level. You you cannot, um, uh, we were talking about inviting friends to church, right? There's a level of discomfort in that because what if they make fun of you, right? Or what if they're like, ew, you know, I don't want to go to your church. Um, I think we have to, we have to recognize that if we don't put ourselves in uncomfortable situations, we're, we won't grow. That's important. It's not just that we will not reach other people. It's that we ourselves will not grow. Right? And when you think about Jesus, Jesus didn't say, look, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go to all the people who are in power and say, good job, you know, like I will, I will support you, I will advocate for you, and I will agree with everything that you say. I mean, Jesus was a troublemaker, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Paul, Paul was a troublemaker. And if Paul, we were talking about this the other day, if Paul just stayed where people were like, yeah, Paul, we're happy to see you, what would have happened, right? So I think it's true for our faith that we, as Christians, are expected and called to put ourselves into situations where we're uncomfortable. But I also think even if you look at that and you say, well, I mean, that's right, but look, I'm just not that great at it. Think about your own life. If you're not learning, right, if you're not encountering new things, even if you disagree with them, what kind of, I, I just, to me, what kind of life is that going to be? I mean, it might seem like it's comfortable, but I think at the end of the day, it's going to be like, you know, really sort of bland and static, you know? I, I think that you have to engage with things that, that are new to you. And I think we're all better off, whether you change your mind or not, right? It's not necessarily that you have to change your mind because you engage in discourse with somebody about something that you disagree with. Your own faith, if you don't question it, it's it's pretty easy to push over, I think. Right. Um, and so, you know, whether we're talking about politics, whether we're talking about our belief in God, I think all of those things will be stronger if we subject them to, to different points of view and disagreement. That's hard, but I think it's important to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wrote down a word while you were talking, and it's the word vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've actually ever connected that word to this conversation. But as you were talking about, you know, the way it feels to invite someone to your church, for example, and 
that is a vulnerable space because it's a personal space. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about some of the places that we have deep disagreement around faith, around politics, around just personal beliefs. That's a vulnerable space. And it feels like a little bit of a a sticky place because how do you grow in vulnerability? You practice it. But what do you not want to do because you feel vulnerable? Practice it. And so I wonder if that's why we get a little bit stuck with some of this because it feels high risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think if you identify strongly with something, whether it's a political belief, a religious belief, you know, um, just a cultural belief, or um, I think the prospect of having, you know, argument against that, I think the prospect of thinking, what if I'm wrong? You're vulnerable, right? I mean, that, it, that's exactly right. You are in a position where if, if let's just take an example from, um, I, was, I was reading something the other day, and, and the person was talking about, you know, I have a political opinion. I won't say what the political opinion is because I don't want to distract from the point of view. But it was, I have this opinion, and it is so connected to who I am. Mm. If I get evidence that suggests I'm wrong, then do I have to rethink everything about myself, right? And Mm -hmm. so here's one way to think about that practically. Um, If you have things like that in your life, and I'm sure everybody does have something like that in their life, before you become invested in arguing against people who disagree with you, stop and ask yourself what you're afraid of if you're wrong. what, what will you lose if it turns out you're wrong about that? Mm-hmm. I think we can all think about, and I think it's especially important when you're super, super sure about something, when you're certain about something, to ask yourself that question. We can all think about in history examples of people who did things because they were sure they were right about what they were doing that had terrible consequences, mm-hmm. right? Yes. It's almost the case that we are ourselves the greatest threat when we're 100% sure we're right about something. And I'm not a relativist. Look, I believe there are truths with capital T, right? <laughs> I don't want to say, like, anything goes. Every belief can be, I hear that you know, philosophy degree. That's right. It is. Got to make use of that. Um, but I think that if you, if you imagine... So at, at, on the one hand, ask yourself the question, what am I worried about, right? If... In these personal relationships where you have somebody you totally disagree about something with, ask yourself, one, I think it's always important to ask yourself, what's your intention in engaging in discourse with somebody about that, right? Like, are you going to try and change that person's mind? Um, Tanya Israel, who wrote a book called Beyond Your Political Bubble, says you should be really, really, she's a psychologist, and says you ought to be pretty humble about your ability to change people's minds, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so first of all, think about that. Secondly, are you trying to understand? Are you trying to persuade or understand, or are you doing both, right? Ask yourself about your intentions and in entering into those kinds of con- those conversations. But also ask yourself about why you are so, feel so strongly about something and are so certain, what is at stake if you're wrong? Now, there may be really good reasons. Like, if I'm wrong, it hurts other people, right? If I'm wrong, somebody will suffer. If I'm wrong, there will be a public policy position put into place that's really bad news for lots of people. Those are legitimate things to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. But note them as you're talking and thinking about you know, what, what the connection is there. 
But also, I think it's a really important thing if you're 100% sure that you're right to stop yourself and say, can I, can I look at the person I'm talking with or the people that I'm talking with? And do I respect them enough to think that they're like me and they came to whatever their beliefs are through some kind of rational process? If you can't do that, you should think carefully about, again, why you're in that conversation. Like, why are you talking to people that you think are just arbitrary about their mm-hmm. ideas? But if they came to their beliefs and their commitments in the same way that you come to yours, try and figure out how they got there. Try and understand how they got to that point. You may not be persuaded. You may still think they're wrong, but you might be more likely to be able to empathize with their point of view. And I think that goes a long way towards mitigating some of the unhappiness and some of the toxicity between mm-hmm. between us. And this is, this. so, you know, we always send our guests a list of questions so that you can think deeply about what your response would be. So this is an unfiltered warning because this was not on the list. <laughs> and like happens every time. <laughs> can change it up. But as I was listening to you, I was thinking of... Uh, the study abroad program I did in seminary and going to Calcutta and really learning that namaste was not yoga classes over, but this saying that the God in me sees the God in you. And I was listening to your definition of sin, which, you know, the separation from God, I remember seeing that as a bridge and like the bridge was cut Mm -hmm. when I was Mm -hmm. in Sunday school. I'm like, I don't want my bridge cut. (laughs) I want to stay with God. But then I always have these moments in these conversations where I think there's the aha. And when you were talking about that idea of sin, it made me think of maybe a a connection to that is not only being separated from God, but in separation from each other, we miss God. And so I wondered if there was ever, because I know some people will listen to this and I mean, I'm taking mental notes about, okay, this is how I need to show up differently in conversations. Has there been a time in your life where you might share, you had a division and how you put this in practice and what happened Mm -hmm. at the outcome of that conversation? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I can give you lots of examples. Um, But one that's very close to me, uh, my husband and I, we've been married now I hope he doesn't ever listen to this because it's like in the 20s, but I'm not 100% sure. (laughs) That is so real. I know. He could tell you like to the minute or whatever, but I'm like, whatever. um, And we have very, very different communication styles, like very different communication styles. I am, I like to think, I am a person who is very logical um, and, and, you know, kind of works through things in a linear fashion. Uh, and, and and I do think my background in philosophy, um, I used to teach logic. I'm pretty pedantic about the things I say and how I say them. He's not, because uh, he's a normal human being. And um, <laughs> he's, he's um, you know, the kind of person who... There's a lot going on in the interior, not so much coming out. I'm going to generalize and say this is true of a lot of men anyways, but, um, and, and we have had disagreements about, about hearing and what, what, what was said, what we've heard when we told people stuff. It's not about politics. It's not about faith. It's not about big, 
you know, sort of metaphysical issues or anything, but it's about how we live together day to day. Mm. Um, and, you know, there have been times where I just, I think both of us have thought like, you know, we're not going to get, how are we going to get past this? One of the things that we have done first is to, to name that, right, and say this is a problem and we, we need to think about our communication. Uh, secondly, to find resources or to engage in practices where we are, we are practicing that, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. not so, I, you don't want to think that you have to go through building new habits or these other things with another person that you've been with for a long time. But really, that is part of it, is to say, look, I recognize that you do something differently than I do. I still think you're wrong. Um, <laughs> But it doesn't matter that I think you're wrong because I love you and I want to be, I want to, I want to be in your life and I want you to be in my life. So I'm going to have to make some adjustments. Now, some adjustments are probably beyond the pale. Like I'm not going to make those adjustments. But if I love you and I care about you and I want to live in relationship with you, it doesn't mean that we're always going to get along. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. But if I want to live in relationship with you and get all the benefits of the good thing about the good things about that relationship. I got to change my practices sometimes. I got to change my habits. I've mm-hmm. even when I think I'm, I'm right about something, it doesn't matter because he's not hearing it or it's not having the effect and vice versa. This is true for him too. Mm-hmm. So, I have to be willing to try different things. I would like to say that has made me a better, more understanding person. I guess he'd be the person you'd have to ask about that. <laughs> well, that'll be like the, the part episode two. two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Ask Danny. <laughs> well, and it's funny too because um, I heard a sermon once uh, years and years ago about, oh, I think it was about sandpaper, about how some people in your life that disagree with you or really get on your nerves or whatever, they're like the sandpaper. They're like God's sandpaper for you that. You know, they're kind of refining you and all this. I remember telling my kids that story, and my kids are like, well, then wouldn't a blowtorch be even better? You know? <laughs> like, okay, bad analogy. <laughs> Don't so, use it on the kids. <laughs> well, I okay, I wrote down a question while you were talking, because I love what you're talking about. You know, we, I have to adjust things. You know, I want to have a more open mind or see things from a better perspective. But I think the question that a lot of us are sitting with right now is, what, what about the people do, who don't do that? What about the people <laughs> who don't do it? But it's not mutual. You knew the question before you the question. You knew the question. <laughs> because I, I think that's where so much of our breakdown is happening. Yes. Right. Especially yeah. when it's happening within either our close friend yeah. circles or our families. Yeah. And these are people that we can't imagine disengaging with because we love them. Right. But how much do we give? How much can we expect? Yeah. How do you navigate that? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No, that's totally fair. I mean... I've I've been involved in these t- discussions with people, you know, who are on the left and the right who want to reduce polarization, and they're like, well, we're not the people that you need to be worried about because we showed up to this conversation, which That's is true fair. at some level, right? <laughs> um, okay, so I think I think it matters what we mean by disengaging with people, right? Um, so I think. At some level, sure, you can, you know, we've all heard the statistic about there's one in six people in this country who doesn't talk to a relative anymore mm-hmm. because of political difference, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's significant. Yeah. Um, there, I think it's also important to remember there are five in six people who still do get, you know, do engage with their relatives one way or another, even if they disagree. So I think the real question is, what do you do when you're in a situation with somebody who just refuses 
to be open-minded, right? Mm -hmm. To 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 consider your point of view and maybe yells over you and tries to shut you down. Mm -hmm. Like, do you become one of those one in six people who just doesn't have a relationship with a person? I think you have to ask yourself, what are the costs of doing that, right? And, and there are some cases where for the, for the sake of your own safety, for the sake of your own mental health, for the sake of your anxiety, sometimes you do have to put constraints or guardrails on the kinds of conversations you're having. It is not wrong to say there are some times when it, it's not worth engaging in discussion mm -hmm. because you're not necessarily going to get any understanding or you feel the person isn't. You know, you need to pay attention to your own body, right? Are you, is your heart rate going up? Are you starting to sweat? You know, that's sometimes a sign you need to put an end to the conversation and say, listen, I feel like we might need to come back to this, or I feel like maybe we shouldn't continue. It is true that there are some times when you have to do that. I think the question is, in addition to that, what other ways are there to not completely disengage? And I think here as Christians, it's really important for us to think about if you find yourself in relationship with somebody and you cannot, you really cannot have productive discourse with them and you don't feel like anything positive is happening, one way we can engage is to pray for one another and not the kind of praying that I in my own life have been you know, guilty of doing, like, God, that person is so annoying. Please make them less annoying, right? <laughs> I mean... Another way it is a challenge to be a Christian is to pray for the good of someone that you really disagree with and mm -hmm. that you are really mad at, right? That is a challenge, and it's not nothing, right? And it's not not doing anything. I think sometimes maybe we need to step back in those cases and say, look, I'm not going to be able to sit down and talk about subject X with this person. Um but I can pray for that person, and it's going to be hard enough to pray in the right way for that person. And then also, sometimes maybe the conversation isn't about subject X. It's with the person about your relationship. Like, what kind of relationship are we going to continue to have? Mm -hmm. um, and I think you have to be the judge of whether the person you're talking about is capable of doing that. I think, again, it's a matter of sometimes we have to push ourselves to be uncomfortable and trusting to say, I'm going to talk to this person and say, boy, it really is upsetting to me that we cannot get along, right? Or that we cannot be in the same room. Now, I would like that to change, right? Do you feel that way about it? What, what would you be willing to do? Sometimes that person's waiting for that opening. Sometimes that person may say, no, you know what? Because you voted this way or because you did this, I don't want to have any kind of relationship mm -hmm. with you. Then I think the next step is what can you do to try and um, continue to support that person and hope that, you know, God will help you make that connection again at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that requires a lot of patience. But yeah, I hear your, I mean, I hear your question and I'm not going to say I have all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do wonder, and I know that we could seriously keep picking your brain mm -hmm. all day long. Um, but if you've been listening to The Well for a while, you joined us in season one, you know that we have our fearless producer and videographer, David, who told us like, I don't know how many minutes ago like to wrap minutes, it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so We're going to listen to him, but there, he's so patient. Yes. <laughs> there is one question that we ask at the end, and we're going to save that because as you're talking about, you know, this, what we're called to do as Christians 
is there a scripture that kind of guides the way you approach this work or yeah. that you would encourage us to think about? Yes. Um, and this is your opportunity for your short sermon. That's My what short sermon? People tell me sometimes, like, not your long one, your short yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Hebrews 13. Uh, I love Hebrews 13. Uh, there is, at the beginning, this piece about um, love your brothers and sisters uh, and remembering those who are in prison um, and also entertaining angels unawares. The piece about prison, though, I think is really important. And uh, this is my hobby horse, and I won't give you a sermon on it, but mass incarceration <laughs> to me is like a serious, like the, the, one of the most serious challenges we have in this country. But there's another piece, and I think it's actually, you know, like a throwback to Deuteronomy talking about, um, you know, I'm also not somebody who remembers scripture word by word, so you can tell that I'm paraphrasing, like, God is never going to fail us and never forsake us, right? And I think that's like the real long-term view. You got to kind of just, you got to be thinking about one another. We have to recognize that there are people who come into our lives and we're sure we know what that person is or what they represent. And we might be wrong about that, right? Mm. Um, And so be careful about what you think you know. And then remember that in those moments of discomfort, God is not going to abandon you. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's pretty significant to me. There are many times where I think about that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that brings us to our last question, Wendy. Yeah. Do the honors. I'd love to do the honors. <laughs> so, Jennifer, we ask every guest every time, what is filling your well? And this can be something that is <laughs> very substantive or, or otherwise. <laughs> there are no rules no, no, on how no you rules. answer this question. Well, it's funny, you know, I was thinking about this because I do listen and I know that you're going to ask this question. Um, <laughs> literally right now, there are five men digging a 12-foot hole in my lawn <laughs> working at my sewer. So I hope what's filling my well right now is those guys because, but I, but I can connect this actually to something else. So the my house was built in 1935, and it has terracotta sewers, which are not good at, at keeping tree roots out. Mm. And I think we can all agree, whatever our political persuasion, that sewage going out of the house is the way we want it. <laughs> Amen. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> and so yesterday, I was standing there as they were like, yes, yeah, something bad just happened. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> um, and I was thinking both, is my house going to smell like sewer? Which it did. Um <laughs> You know, I couldn't get a hold of my husband at work. I had to go pick up my kids. I was thinking about my teenagers, you know, coming home and and pretty much believing that it, you know, somehow I had orchestrated this whole thing to make it inconvenient for them. You know? And I'm in, I'm kind of switching jobs right now, so I I didn't have you know coworkers. I felt really alone, and um, and I also feel like this is unfair because I'm pretty sure one of your last guests had the same answer, but. I took like a minute of deep breathing, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and I just stopped. And that's partly because I have been for the last couple of years um, practicing meditation and practicing is a very important word. Like it's like, you're not fixing it. You're not figuring it out. You're not, you know, um, finalizing or whatever you are practicing. Um, And two or three years ago, I would have been not only never have done that, but also been embarrassed to tell you that I was doing it because I think I thought, you know, I really have to have my, I have to be together, you know, I have to get my stuff together. I don't want anybody to think I don't. Boy, it has made such a difference in my life, not just to take a, literally take a beat, but 
also to stop and think about the way that I am thinking, you know, and saying, I don't have control over everything, and I feel kind of adrift here. Mm. I can't control the sewer. I can't control my kids. I can't control, I mean, I can control my kids to some degree, but like, <laughs> come to my house. Yeah. <laughs> we'll enlist you. I can control how I respond to this. And I want to make it really, really clear that that does not mean like superwoman. I just got my stuff together and went and got my kids, and everything was perfect. Like, I talked to the guys about what was going on. I left my husband kind of an insane voicemail. Um, <laughs> went and picked up my kids and cried a little bit on the way home, but not, like, ugly, out-of-control crying. And for me, that's what it is. It's, like, just giving myself the space to not think. I have to be able to respond to everything right now, this second. I just need to give myself one minute of breathing, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I can cry later. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll cry with you. It's yeah. <laughs> great. Oh, Jennifer, we really could talk for a lot longer, but then this will become a long form podcast. Yes. And that is not <laughs> nobody will listen format, to it. So. Oh, but we're so grateful to Thank you very much. learn Thank from you, you and laugh with you and just talk together. Can you tell people as we wrap up where they can find you? Sure. You can listen to the Civil Squared podcast on any place you get your podcasts. Um, and if you go to www.civilsquare.org, you can find all the podcasts there as well. And you can find um, my writing and some of my colleagues' writing on on issues that are going on in your community and sort of taking time to think about how to approach it from multiple sides and to have and, – and practical tips about discussion too. So, awesome. Great. Great. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for being with us on this episode of The Well, and we will – See you next time. See you next time.